All right. I am Joe Collins. I want to welcome you to Simi Church this morning. It's nice to see you. I'm happy you're here with us today. We are uh, in a series that now has turned off. Is the light on? The light's on. Hang on, hang on. There we go. We'll just try this again. Not sure why that happened. There we go. There's our series. We're in a series called uh, Hashtag Jesus. And the idea is we're, we're, we're studying the book of Mark and we're just going where Jesus went in the book of Mark. So uh, one day uh, the phone rang. And uh, this little boy answered the phone. And uh, the caller said, may I speak to your parents, please? And the little, boy, the little boy's voice from the other end said, uh, no, you can't. And the person said, well, why not? And the little boy said, well, they're busy. And so the caller said, okay, is there any other adults I can, I, uh, in the house? And the little boy said, uh, yes, there are. And uh, he said, uh, the police are here. The caller was a little taken aback, and he said, okay, well, may I speak to the police? And the little boy said, no, you cannot. And the caller said, well, why not? And the, the little boy said, well, they're busy. So the caller said, well, are there any other adults in the house that I can talk to? And the little boy said, yes, there are. And the caller said, well, who are they? And he said, the firemen are here. So the caller was a little nervous, a little concerned, what's going on? He said, well, can I speak to the firemen? And the little boy said, no, you cannot. And the caller said, well, why can't I speak to the firemen? And the little boy said, because they're busy. And so the caller, realizing that, you know, something was going on, but he wasn't too worried because the, the boy was not in any distress, he finally just said, okay, let me get this straight. Your parents, the police, and the firemen are all in your house, but they can't come to the phone because they're all busy. Is that correct? And the little boy said, yes, that is correct. And so the caller said, well, what are they doing? And the little boy said, looking for me. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. If you have a phone with a Bible app, use that. If you have a Bible that you want to use, use that. If not, I do have the scriptures on our screen. We're going to pray before we get started. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this chance to be together. And we do pray for your spirit to work through this message today to inspire and encourage every one of us this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start in uh, Mark chapter 2. We're going to read verses 23 to 24 first. Uh, it says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, if, if you're not, uh, if you're visiting or you, or you haven't been coming consistently in the past several weeks, we've been involved in a series where we're going through, excuse me, the book of Mark, and we're, we're, we're kind of taking it situation by situation. Where were they? What, what, what happened? You know, and what did Jesus do in, in, in this situation? Well, in this story, uh, we pick it up, and there's no description. There's no, it doesn't tell us where we are. Uh, and it doesn't even tell us when exactly in the, the time frame of Jesus' public ministry did this take place. That's okay. Our best guess would be that it took place in the first two-thirds of Jesus' ministry when he lived in Galilee. If you look at our little simple map of Palestine, there's Galilee in the north. And he probably was, uh, you know, he, he lived there for about two and a half years in the town of Capernaum, probably staying with one of his, uh, two of his disciple, uh, uh, his own disciples, people he was training, Pete, uh, Simon and Andrew. 
they, they had a house in Capernaum, and he probably stayed there. And during those two and a half years or so, Jesus spent almost all of his time up there in Galilee around those uh, towns that are kind of centered around the Sea of Galilee there. So this story most likely took place in, in, up there. That's, that's somewhere around in and around the town of Capernaum. In the, in the first two-thirds or so of Jesus' ministry, he, his public ministry lasted about three, three and a half years, and he spent about two-thirds of it, uh, the first part of it, up there in Galilee. So that's probably the idea, but it doesn't really matter because in this part of the book of Mark, we're not necessarily going location by location because Mark is not necessarily giving us a chronological uh, explanation of the life of Jesus. What he's doing right here is he's, he's addressing some various themes. Some, um, um, and the theme that he was addressing is conflicts that Jesus had with religious leaders. And, and in this case, we're dealing with Pharisees. Those were the religious leaders that he was running into conflict with. And, and Mark gives us sort of five conflicts, one after the other. And, you know, we, we're, this is number four. We've been, we've been going through them one at a time. And, and right now, this is the fourth of the five conflicts. You could also look at this as, as, you know, five reasons why Jesus got rejected by mainstream Judaism, by, by the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the priests, and anybody who was uh, devoutly Jewish at the time. Um, these are sort of the main complaints that they had with Jesus. The first conflict, just to recap, was when he healed a man and said, your sins are forgiven. And that really upset the audience who was mainly Pharisees and teachers of the law and even priests because only God can forgive sins. So they found that offensive. The second uh, uh, offense that he made in their minds was that he ate with sinners. Uh, it, remember, uh, he had a follower named uh, uh, Levi. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were uh, not liked by people. And uh, in that day and age, they were considered unclean by the Jews. And Jesus rubbed elbows with, with Levi and his friends of low company. You know, Jesus had friends in, in low places. And that was something that they felt like was unbecoming of a, of a spiritual leader at, in, in, in that day. The third conflict was this issue about fasting. We talked about this, I think, last week. And the idea was his disciples didn't fast when everybody else was fasting. And it had to do with their religious devotion. But what, what, we, what we learned was that Jesus really was telling the religious people of his day that what I'm bringing is something totally new and totally different, and what you have been doing is old and worn out. And so you can see why they didn't take too kindly to that. And now we're dealing with this issue of picking grain on the Sabbath. Shocking. Controversial. Jesus' disciples picked grain as they walked along on the Sabbath, and to the Pharisees, this was unlawful. It was a great offense. Now, like last week, we may not understand why this seemed to be so controversial. And so it's important for us in our, in our time today to get a little background to understand, well, what is the deal with the Sabbath? What makes the Sabbath such a big deal to the Jews, to the Pharisees specifically, in Jesus' day? So let's do a little study, I'll go quick, through the Sabbath. Genesis chapter 2, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, to the story of creation. The Bible says, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This word rested is the same word, uh, this word rested and the word Sabbath have the same root word. It means to cease, to stop all activity. And so the Sabbath 
was a, uh, 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 in, by the time of Jesus, the Sabbath was a day of rest in honor of God's creative work when he created the heavens and the earth and did all the creative processes and then rested on the seventh day. And so for the Jews, they were very much honoring the, the precedent that God set in the creative story of a day of rest, six days of work, one day of rest. Now, by the time of Jesus Christ, the days, the first day of the week was what we call Sunday. The seventh day of the week was what we call Saturday. So for the Jews, Saturday, so we can understand it, is their Sabbath. It was their, their day of rest. Okay, fast forward some 2,500 years from the point of, you know, whenever uh, Adam left the garden to we get to uh, a man named Moses. And uh, Moses, in Exodus chapter 20, was given the, com the law of God, the, the, the law of Moses, what we call the Ten Commandments. And this is one of them, number four, as a matter of fact. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it took some 2,500 years from the first Sabbath rest, that was God's rest, by the way, until the time of Moses when God instituted a Sabbath rest for the people of Israel. It was, it was in their law code that was handed down to them through Moses at Mount Sinai just after they had left Egypt in the Exodus and they really become the people of God at this point. They were the, these were the, 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 the descendants of Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses. These were the, 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 the godly line from Adam. They had become a great nation, many millions of people. They had been enslaved in Egypt. And then when they left Egypt, God enshrined for them in their law, their most fundamental, their Ten Commandments, their, their most basic teachings, it was enshrined in there a Sabbath day, a day of rest. It was the law. Now, we're not going to look at other scriptures, but let me just fill you in because uh, I, I want you to understand the, the, the law, this, this, this Sabbath rest enshrined in law was very important. And it wasn't just a day of rest. It was a day to cease activity. And so the law said things like you couldn't work. You couldn't even cook. And all the wives said, amen. amen. <laughs> you couldn't reap. You, could, you, had to, you couldn't even travel. You had to stay within your local area around your home. The only thing you could really go do was leave for a sacred gathering, a time of worship with your other fellow uh, Israelites in the community there. That's what you could do. You could go, and it was a day of rest, and it was a day of worship. And it was, a, it was a reminder of God's creative work, but it was also a reminder of their special relationship that they had with God. God gave them this day of rest so that they would remember the relationship that they had with God. I want to make a side point here that's really important. God is relational. He's a, he is a he. There is a being called God. It's not like Star Wars. God is not a force that has a good side and a bad side. Okay, as awesome as Star Wars is, that's not a good analogy for God. God is a being, a person. Now, he's incomprehensible in a lot of ways. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what does all that mean? I don't know. It's over my head. But there is a God, and he does exist, and he is a, a being, and he, 
and as a being, he has relational dynamics. And so when he created the Sabbath, it was in, in that context of relationship that he created it. It was a day intended for the Israelites to cease their activity and tend to their relationship with God. That's what the Sabbath was all about. And yes, there were some very specific rules and very specific guidelines, but you can't miss that this was a relational element here, that God is real and that he's a, there's a being out there and that people, the nation of Israel, that his specially chosen people, that individuals can relate to him, can commune and connect with him. And that's what the Sabbath was all about. And so God commanded it to be a day of rest. He commanded it to be a day of worship. But ultimately, it was a day to tend to their relationship with their God. He was unlike the other gods who are distant and far away, who you had to appease. No, there was a personal connection here. There was a personal dynamic between God and man, as the Israelites understood, as he revealed himself to them. So God is relational. We've got to tend to it. Now, it's important for me to point out that any violation of the Sabbath was punishable by up to and including death. So if someone violated the Sabbath by working, by reaping, they were, it was punishable by death. This is how significant, how important, and how powerful the Sabbath was to the Jewish people. And this took place, uh, the, the Ten Commandments were given probably 1,500 years before the time of Christ. So if we, we fast forward from the time of Moses to the time of Christ, during those 1,500 years, those 15 centuries, the Jews went out of their way, the Israelites, the devout ones, went out of their way to honor the Sabbath. It was important. Not just the Sabbath, but all the law. It was of grave importance to them. It was very valuable to them. So the question is, was Jesus' disciples violating the Sabbath by walking along and picking some grain to eat as they, as they went? Was that a violation of the Sabbath. That seems to be the challenge. That seems to be the, the controversy that's in play here. It's the, it's the accusations the Pharisees are making against Jesus' disciples that they're doing something unlawful, something unwarranted. They're defiling the Sabbath. In the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, there were a number of sects, but the Pharisees were, were one of the more influential sects of Judaism, and they held people themselves, and they called people to a very high standard of, of obedience to the law of God. So this is why it was of high importance to them. They felt like something wrong was going on here. But the question is, were they violating the Sabbath? Let's see what Jesus says. He answers, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. So Jesus replies to this accusation about uh, his disciples violating the Sabbath with telling the Pharisees a very well-known story from Jewish history about King David, the greatest king of Israel. There was, he was everybody's hero, King David. And, and, and in order to really get this, I want to read the story. And, and I'm going to go off my script. If you've been a uh, part of Simi Church, you'll notice that I tend to stick to one scripture, and I tend not to go to a lot of others. Today, I'm going to break that rule, and I'm going to go to a whole bunch of scriptures today, okay? 
because I want to I want to help you understand the depth here of what's happening, but also what does it mean for us today? So let's let's look at this story. Here's here's the story Jesus refers to that was well known to the to the Pharisees, especially in his day. David went to Nob to Amalek, the priest. Amalek trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? By the way, the names are translated differently. One might be the father, one might be the son. They could be brothers. But sometimes when we get into the, uh, comparing the old and the new, there's a, there's a difference in the, the, the names sometimes, so don't be freaked out by that. Amalek trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Amalek, the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Notice he's being very vague. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there's some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual, whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now, what, what is going on here? So the story is this. David was anointed by God to be king over Israel. This, this takes place, you know, maybe a thousand years before Jesus, okay? Just give us a time frame. And, but he wasn't officially the king yet because King Saul, who was the anointed king, was still king. Now, God had taken his anointing away because Saul wouldn't honor the law of God. He just wouldn't, he wouldn't tend to his relationship with God. He was always breaking it. And so finally God said, look, I can't work with this guy. So he removed his blessing. He gave it to David. But Saul was still king. And so Saul and David had this sort of love-hate thing going on, mostly hate. And so Saul, from time to time, wanted to kill David. And David had to run away. And this is a story of David on the lamb. He's, he's running. He's trying to hide from Saul. And he shows up in, in the town of Nob, just outside the city of Jerusalem, right where the high priest apparently lived. And, uh, and he went to him and he said, hey, I need some supplies. Now, he was being very vague and very coy and very unclear about why he was there and why nobody was with him and what was going on. And the high priest was nervous because he could tell something was up. What are you doing here? And where's all the other guys? And what's everybody knew that Saul would go crazy every now and then and try to kill David. So everybody was nervous. Well, oh, you know, if I help David, is Saul going to hear about it? And so you can see this. The high priest is kind of worried. So David basically is very vague and kind of lies. Oh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on official business. Can't really, if I have to tell you, I have to kill you. I can't really go into it, right? It's that kind of interaction. So David says, look, I need some food. And the priest says, well, I don't have any food. I just have the consecrated bread. Now, in the, 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 the first translation in English, the King James Bible, it's called showbread or shewbread. So that, that name is stuck. But what is the shewbread? What is the showbread that, 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 uh, that's here, this consecrated bread? Well, in the, the tabernacle, the temple, that's where they worshipped, there were two rooms. There was the holy place and the most holy place. The most holy place was where the presence of God was, had a curtain, and only the high priest could go in there once a year. And if anybody went in there any other time, they just dropped dead because the presence of God was in there. And he could only go in there to offer one sacrifice a year for the forgiveness of all the people's sins. So it was a very, very important place. Outside the, whole, the most holy place was the holy place. And that was a larger room, and in that room was a candelabra, a menorah, there was a table, and there was an altar for incense. And that's where the priests would perform their priestly duties. They would offer incense as prayers for the people, etc. And in that, on that table, 
there were placed 12 loaves of bread, one that represented each of the tribes of Israel. And they would bake this bread once a week and put it on the table. And what it represented was that Israel had a special relationship with God. When you are friends with someone, you eat with them. You sit down and you break bread together, right? Well, that's what this represented. It was God's way of saying, I'm going to stay in continual fellowship, friendship with the people of Israel. And so this bread was considered special. It was consecrated. It would be made in a certain way, and only on the Sabbath would it be replaced. And so they would replace it, and then the old bread, the priests only were allowed to eat. So it's very possible that what's happening here, I don't know for sure, but it might have been a Sabbath day that David went in there because it was a day that the bread had been replaced. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a Sabbath day because either way, David is breaking the law according to the law of Moses. He's not allowed to eat this bread. Only the priests are. But he asks for it, and the, the high priest gives it to him. Now, the Pharisees would never have considered David a lawbreaker over this story. They would have said, oh, you know, time of need. You know, whenever stuff gets going, got to make some exceptions every now and then, right? And they did. They revered David. So they didn't accuse David of doing any wrongdoing in this passage, even though he lied. And even though he ate the consecrated bread, it wasn't a big deal to the Pharisees. But here we are, 1,500 years later, with Jesus, and now they're picking a fight over the fact that his disciples are picking some heads of grain and munching on them as they're walking along to a field. And so Jesus is very clearly challenging their thinking, their logic. Why is this okay and that not okay? Now, what I like in this story is Luke, the Gospel of Luke, tells the same story, except Luke adds, not, not, this, not this part of the story, but he adds that when the disciples were, were picking the grain, they were rubbing it in their hands to get the, the outer coat off so they could eat it. And, and I, I really think Luke's kind of adding that to go, oh, yeah, they were really working, picking the grain and rubbing it so they could eat it, right? Like, I think he was, it was almost like a dig when I read it. Like, he was really trying to, trying to annoy the Pharisees in telling this story. Matthew also has a version of this same story, but he adds another response that Jesus gave. And I want to share that with you. Down here at the bottom, it says, Matthew chapter 5, or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and, you're yet, and are yet innocent? What is Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying, look, I get that it's the Sabbath, but even at the temple, the priests are still working. Aren't they in violation? Why are they not in violation? They're doing labor. Everybody's supposed to cease, but not the priests, yet they're considered innocent. What is his point? What is he trying to say to the Pharisees? What is, how does he respond to their accusation that somehow his disciples are committing a great crime against the Sabbath? You know what he was saying? He's saying, look, the law is important, but God is not trying to get anybody on a technicality. That's not the God we worship. But the Pharisees thought of God as the rule keeper. The guy who was up in heaven, like many of us maybe thought of, who had lightning bolts, and he was walking around waiting for you to mess up so he could throw lightning bolts down on your head, right? That was how they basically interpreted God. He became this, this rule keeper who was concerned about the rules. Now, the rules were important, but God's not trying to get us on a technicality. 
who's not trying to be legalistic. On another story of a similar argument, Jesus said, wouldn't you get your animal out of a ditch if it fell in it on the Sabbath? I mean, it's just the right thing to do. We're not calling that work. There's a difference between completely blowing off the law of God and just going to work and, you know, trying to honor the law of God, setting aside the day, making sure you revere it. But if something happens and there's a need that comes up, hey, it's okay. God's not trying to get us on a technicality. I have a friend. They live in the Shoreline Ministry. That's one of our sister churches. His name's Steve. And they have the coolest place. They live on a farm. I didn't know you could do this. But down in Camarillo, Oxnard, that whole area, there's lots of farms down there. You know, they grow all kinds of stuff. And in the old days, they were owned by families, and they had farmhouses, and the family, you know, ran the farm. But in the new days, they've been taken over by corporations, et cetera, and they're, they're managed by these big companies. But the farmhouses are still on the land. And so some of them rent the farmhouses out. You could live in a farmhouse. How cool is that on an actual farm? Now, it's not your crop, okay? You don't get to go reap. But you get to live there. Well, he lives on a, on, in a farmhouse on, a, on farmland, and they have this long dirt road that goes up to their house, and their kids, they get dropped off from school at the end of the dirt road, and they have to walk up the dirt road to their house. And occasionally, when strawberry season is in, his kids will take a couple strawberries on their way in. Heck, he'll go outside every now and then and get some whipped cream, and they'll have pluck a couple strawberries and make dessert, right? The corporation is not coming down on them. Hey, you're stealing. You're reaping our strawberries. That's not what they're doing. They understand. We're renting you a house on a farm. We get that you might actually eat something out of the field. There's a difference between reaping. They're not out there reaping the strawberries and selling them on the corner. That would be a violation. They would be evicted. But gosh, for crying out loud, they live I couldn't walk by strawberry fields and not steal a strawberry. <laughs> For crime any sakes, right? I mean, come on. God is not legalistic. He's not walking around trying to slam you and me for every wrongdoing we do. But the Pharisees, in, in, in their zeal to honor the law, had created this tension, this anxiety among people where they were just worried. And they lived it with themselves. i, I got to do everything right, and i got to be right, and I can't make any mistake. And, and you can just see the tension and the edge that's in them. And it was a miserable way to live. So Jesus says to them, I mean, come on, David broke the Sabbath, the priests break the Sabbath all the time. I mean, give me a break, guys. God's not legalistic, but he says something else, too, in verse 27. Man was not created for the Sabbath. Or, I'm sorry, uh, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath, and the law of Moses, for that matter, the Ten Commandments, was made for man not the other way around. Now, the Pharisees had gotten themselves in such a twist that it was as if they were made to obey the law. But you know what's interesting is God made man before he rested. God made man before he gave the law. 2,500 years later, after he made man, did he finally give the law. So, so the law was actually given to man as a gift. It was a present. The Sabbath was a blessing. It was a gift to man. Because left to our own devices, we would make ourselves work every day of the week. 
and we would have employers who would not give days off, and we would have husbands that would, that would make their wives you know, cook all the time, and the, and the people around, we would just be miserable. We'd be just on the go 24-7. We'd be very unpleasant people. And God said, okay, you guys need a break. It's beer 30. I mean, come on for crying out loud. Take a break and tend to the relationship. And what was cool about the law of the Sabbath is it extended to everybody in Israel. Man, woman, child, animal, slave, and foreigner. They all got a day off. If you were in Israel, man, that was the place to be. If we could go back in time and live during the time of the, 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 when the law was enforced and Israel was at their high point in, in the land of Canaan, we would want to be in Israel. That's the place we'd all want to move to because if we were living in Babylon or Assyria or Persia or these other places, it was a brutal existence. The laws were harsh. They were random. But God gave the law, including the Sabbath, as a blessing. It made their lives better. Israel was so far advanced socially than any other civilization of its day. It was a major leap forward for human rights and, for, and, and for, for, for people in general. We look at the law today and sometimes we think, oh, it's so bad, it's harsh, oh, eye for an eye. We, we, but we're misinterpreting it. We don't understand that like an eye for an eye means the punishment must fit the crime. In other civilizations, if you stole a loaf of bread, you might get your head chopped off. That doesn't fit the crime. But in Israel, you stole a loaf of bread, well, you had to, you had to, give, you had to pay it back with a little interest. Okay, not so harsh, right? That's what it meant. And the whole law was like that. It was a huge step forward. It was a gift from God given to people. The law of Moses, including the, the laws about the Sabbath, were blessings for people and for society and for the civilization. It was given to make their lives better so that they could have some time they could treat each other better, and they could also have time set aside to tend to their relationship with God. Now, by the time of Jesus, some 1,500 years later, the Pharisees had missed it. It had become rules, laws. They were constantly making sure people weren't in violation. And if you were in violation, there was a punishment. And it was the law. People were made to observe the law. Not the other way around. Have you ever had a friend who just doesn't know when not to say something? I have one really good friend of mine. I love him, Jason. And uh, I, I was trying to find, I have a picture of him on Christmas Eve, and he's at our house, and we're, we're having dinner, and he's got a big old black eye, and I wanted to show it to you because Jason would always open his mouth at the wrong time. You know, or he would say the thing that shouldn't be said. And so when we were all young in our early, our late teens there, you know, it was always us trying to get Jason out of trouble, you know, or having to stick up for Jason when he opened his mouth in the wrong moment, right? Jesus is a little bit like my friend Jason here. And not in a bad way, but, but verse 28, listen to this. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I think up to, up to verse 28, I think the Pharisees, could handle what Jesus was saying. Okay, yeah, they were probably accused of being overly technical to begin with. They probably knew that about themselves, right? And I'm sure they were the kind of people that, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're overdoing it. We got to be a little more flexible. Okay, okay, okay. I think they were with him. 
until verse 28. <laughs> the phrase son of man, Jesus called himself the son of man a lot. It's how he referred to himself because he was. He was the son of Mary. In that way, he was the son of man, but he was also the son of God. And so we capitalize the phrase son of man because he's the son of man. He's, he's the one, right? He's the guy. He's way better than Neo, right? He's the guy. And here he goes. The, so the son of man, me, is Lord even of the Sabbath. What is he saying there? He's saying, uh, I kind of wrote the law to begin with, so I can interpret it however I want to interpret it. It's my law. Now, if you're a Pharisee, you know, hair is coming out at this point. It, it's like, oh my goodness. Uh, Jesus' disciples are like, he did it again. Right? I mean, it, this, is, this is fighting words. This is the kind of stuff that just made people go rabid. They couldn't handle this. What are you, okay, we were with you until you said that. What were you thinking? How dare you? And, but there he is. I'm, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, guys. I, I, I made it. I invented it. It was my idea all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. You can kind of catch the moment here now, right? You can kind of get in touch with what's happening. So being Lord of the Sabbath, he has the right to define what keeping the Sabbath means. And this is what got him into trouble, why Mark puts it in the list of five, you know, Here's the five things that they had a problem with. This was a big one. It's one of the things. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the priests, the devout Jews, all of them. Even the Romans at some point had a problem with this. And they didn't even care about Jewish law. And you know, that still happens today. When you say Jesus is Lord, those are fighting words. There is a whole world of enemies that you just made for yourself when you said Jesus is Lord. Because it's immediately, this is better than what you're doing. What I believe is better than what you believe. My, my, my belief is trumping your belief. And immediately, there is a fight. I want to speak to the church for a minute because we who have said Jesus is Lord don't always experience the fight. We're blessed. We live in a society that's generally, uh, what do you call it, tolerant. It's getting worse, though. Those of you that like to see the way the wind blows, it does seem to be turning for the worse. But nonetheless, that phrase, Jesus the Lord, will get you killed in certain parts of the world. It will put you on the out in certain places. It will push friends and family, not only other people from other cultures, but it will push everybody away. Because there's something very uncomfortable about Jesus is Lord. For those of you that might be visiting and in Bible study, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't want to scare you. I want you to say Jesus is Lord at some point. I want you to come to that conviction and live by it. But I got to tell you, they're fighting words. People will not like it. They will react negatively. 
Now, we're not going to get into it now. There's a whole other side of the story where they're awesome words. And there's a lot of blessing that comes. But I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It is controversial. It was in Jesus' day, and it is today. The claim that Jesus is Lord is, a, is controversial. So, what does all this mean for us? Right? Like, okay, so I get it. And, and yes, we, we get that God is, uh, how do I say this? Uh, God is relational, that he's not legalistic, that he wants to make people's lives better. And, and, and you know, and that, yeah, if we, if we jump in with God, if we put both feet in with, with, with God and say Jesus is Lord, then we're going to be on the outs with a lot of people. Okay, I get all that, but what, but what does it all mean to me today? I mean, specifically the Sabbath. How does it relate to us today? What do we do with the Sabbath in our day? Well, I want to do a quick Bible study because I really want to educate you on the concept of the Sabbath and what does it mean in our day and age? How do we as Christians uphold, or do we even need to, the law of the Sabbath? So the first place I want to go is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is out of the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And because he lived under the law, he obeyed the law. So getting back to our first question, did his disciples violate the law? No. No, the law was not written to say that you can't pluck a strawberry or some grain while you're, while you're walking along. It was written that you, you don't start reaping it. You don't start going back to work and harvesting it, right? So that was the law. So they weren't, they weren't violating the law. Nor did Jesus violate the law, whether it was the Sabbath or any other of the Ten Commandments or any other of the, the, the laws of the law of Moses. As a matter of fact, Jesus said he came to fulfill them, and, and, and until he fulfills them, the law is going to remain until everything is accomplished. Now let's look at John chapter 19, verse 30. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Interesting statement of Jesus. It is finished. Last words that he uttered when he was on the cross. What does that mean? Theologically, what is Jesus saying? Well, the law was instituted under Moses at Mount Sinai, and it lasted for about 1,500 years, 15 centuries. But when Jesus died on the cross, he announced that it was done. It was finished. The law had been fulfilled. He himself had fulfilled the requirements of the law. Next, please. What did his disciples do as a result? Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. I'm not going to go on until midnight. But uh, what we see here is just a f few years, a handful of years after Jesus died and resurrected and then ascended into heaven and, and, and the Christian movement started to spread. Within just a handful of years, the disciples, the early followers of Christ, began meeting on the first day of the week, not the seventh. They, they, they began dropping the observance of the law, specifically the law of the Sabbath. And they began worshiping in sacred gatherings on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, which is a lot of the reason why we're here today. That was the precedent. That was the tradition that the early disciples established. 
that they would worship on what they called the first day of the week. They also referred to it as the Lord's Day. It was the day that he resurrected. And that was their tradition to, to, to gather and to worship on the first day of the week. And so they literally began to drop the observance of not just the law, the Sabbath law, but, but a lot of the law, almost all of the law. Because they slowly began to become aware that when Jesus said it was finished, what he meant it was that the law of Moses had done its time. It had served its purpose. It, it was given under, at Moses at Mount Sinai, and it ended when Jesus died on the cross. And so as Christians, we no longer are living under the law of Moses. We're now living under the law of Christ. Look what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace, talking about Christ, who has made the two groups one. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles there. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Jesus completed it. He fulfilled it. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. In other words, there was no longer this, this, uh, this, this connection to the Sabbath being unique to the Jews because Jesus just did away with it all so everyone can be connected to Christ, not only a special select group of people. Any nation, any people from anywhere can be connected to Christ in him, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to rec reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So in Christ, we don't worship, we don't uh, honor, or, or how do I say this? We don't uphold the Sabbath or the law because we uphold Christ. Christ has voided. He's completed. Remember a couple weeks ago, he called it old wine and an old garment. It was done. It was worn out. It was fulfilled. Well, he did it. When he died on the cross, the law was, was done. It was terminated. That will, that covenant, that law was now terminated. It was completed. And now we have the law of Christ. Now what's interesting is if you don't come to church today, we're not going to stone you. Like in, in, the, in the old law, if you decided to work on Sunday or Saturday, you would have been stoned because you were violating, you were desecrating the law. Well, we don't have that because Sunday is not a Christian Sabbath day. That's not what Sunday is. It was not designed or is it intended to be some sort of Christian Sabbath. And this is an important distinction I want you to hear. We do not, I do not believe that on Sunday morning we are just honoring the Sabbath law. The Sabbath law is ended. It was terminated. It's been completed. It's been fulfilled. It's over. So there's no obligation to be here Sunday morning. There's no special day to worship God. You know, you're thinking, you're thinking, you're crazy, Joe. But it's true. Here's the point. We're now here because we want to be here. That's the change. And that's what I think you got to get into your head. That in Christ, when we observe the law of Christ, it's a willful desire to do it. It's our choice. You can choose to be here. You can choose not to be here. The point is, do you want to be here? You can choose to obey the, 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 the teachings of Christ or not. The point is, do you want 
to obey the teachings of Christ. It's so different now. And the early Christians, began, it took them some time, but they began to figure that out. And so what they did when they gathered, it was because they wanted to gather. They chose Sunday because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead. They thought it was a great day. Nothing wrong with that. But they did it because it was their choice and they wanted to do it. When they gave their offerings, they gave them because they wanted to give them. They weren't required. When they helped someone in need, they did it because they wanted to help them. It wasn't required. When they, when they you know, proselytized, when they went out and tried to share their faith with other people, they did it out of, out of a desire to want to do it, not out of some command to have to do it. Paul talks about the law. This is a really interesting insight. My wife was sharing this with me earlier. But he talks about the law being a guardian. Think of the law as a guardian. When you have a child, and let's say their parents pass, and, and, and they have to have a legal guardian. And the legal guardian takes care of them until they're 18, and then they're free. And they can do what they want at that point. Well, the law was like a guardian. It took care of the Israelites. It took care of the people of God for 1,500 years. But when Christ came and died on the cross and it was finished, it was now time for them to grow up and to take care of things themselves. And that's the new law. That's the new covenant Jesus has made between us, with us. Is that this is a free will choice. This is your option. No one's making you. There's doors. You don't even have to show up. Do you want to? It really is of the heart now. It really is a matter of the heart and of a decision that we make. And that's the beauty of it. That's the, that's the joy of it. That's the excitement of it. Is that we come together because we like being here. Now, I know not every time. It happens, but overall, right, we're not going to be technical. I'm not going to sit at the door and go, do you want to be here? Okay, you have to leave. You don't want to be here, go away. You only come when you really, don't get into that trap. Don't do the thing the Pharisees did and become technical. Oh, well, if I don't feel it today, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. No, come on. We're talking about a general way of being. We're talking about a way to live. It's a willful choice that we make. To follow Jesus Christ. That's why we come here. So no, today is not the Christian Sabbath. The law, the Sabbath and the whole law has been fulfilled. This is just something free will. This is something we do voluntarily. So now here's the question. Well, Joe, what I hear you saying is now there's no more day of rest. You just took my weekend out. Sorry, but Jesus kind of did. There is, <laughs> the, 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 you read the writings of the, new, of the early followers, they, there's no special day anymore. So yeah, kind of, yeah, we're kind of always busy now. Jesus, on the day he rose, it was a Sunday, was very busy. He did not rest. He had to run around and tell everybody he had rose. And then when people saw him, he said, go tell other people I rose. He actually put them to work on Sunday. Sunday is a day to work. It's a day to show Jesus to other people now. Just like every other day is that day. So we need to now stay busy until Jesus comes. We're always working. We're always saying Jesus is Lord. It's never going to end every day, six, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We are always proclaiming Jesus is Lord. There is no longer a day off. 
Now, does that mean you can't take a day off? Look, take a day off. We're not legalistic. God's not making any requirement anymore. You get your break, you get your break. But you never take a break from Jesus as Lord. You know, what happens here stays here. That's just not true. Right? If you're in Vegas, Jesus is still Lord there. <laughs> Contrary to popular opinion. Jesus is still Lord. So, yeah. So now you're like, oh, great, now I'm leaving here and now i got to work some more and that's terrible. Well, look at, look at what Hebrews 4.9 says. Because is there a rest? Do we ever get a rest? Hebrews 4.9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Oh, thank goodness, there is a rest. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. So that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. When do we get to rest? When Jesus comes. Until then, look busy. <laughs> we just, just got to stay busy. Claiming that Jesus is Lord. You know, we, we started off with a little joke about the kid and everybody was in the house and they were looking for him. That's kind of what we are now. But we're not looking for a little boy. We're always looking for Jesus. And we're always telling other people about Jesus. And we are going to do that until kingdom come. At this time, we're going to stand. I'll close us out with a prayer. We'll have the singers come up and we'll find out. We'll, we'll end with the final song and we'll be dismissed.